0: Uh, The story is told of a little girl who had quite an imagination. Her name was Jennifer and she was in her kindergarten class doing whatever it is that kindergartners do. She had taken up her colored pencils and paper for an art project um, and she was hard at work creating her masterpiece. Her teacher walked through the classroom looking over the students' shoulders, complimenting and encouraging them in their work. But then she came to Jennifer. Jennifer, sweetheart, what is it that you're trying to draw? The the precocious five-year-old looked up with complete confidence and said, I'm drawing God. And then went back to work. A smile came over the teacher's face and she chuckled in her heart. Then in all her vast wisdom and knowledge, she replied, But Jennifer, no one knows what God looks like. Without missing a beat, Jennifer kept working and said, They will in a minute. John 1, verse 18, is actually not the text that we're really talking about this morning, but it's where we'll begin. So we'll play a game if... uh, it's a little bit of a lengthy introduction, and so by the time we get to where I'll tell you what verse it is, if you can guess what it is, you get a high five. So would someone read John one and verse eighteen? No one has seen God, only God who is Father God. He has made Thank you. So this verse says, as do many other passages, that no one has ever seen God. Exodus 33.20 tells us that this would mean instant death. As sinful human beings, we are not fit or capable to behold God with our eyes. But God has done something. He has graciously chosen to reveal himself in the person of Jesus Christ. In a, in a very special way. If you go back up to verse 14 of that chapter, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And if we reread John 1.18, it says no one's ever seen God. That's true. But the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Or You could technically say he has exegeted him. He has explained him. Jesus, the eternally divine second person of the Trinity, humbled himself and took on flesh. He was incarnate by the Virgin Mary and born fully God and fully man. Jesus was and is divinity wrapped in humanity. And as such, he could be seen by men. Paul says this in Philippians 2.8 that he took on the likeness of human flesh. Jesus says in John 14 to Philip, what does, he, what does he say to Philip? Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says what? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, does that mean that because they saw Jesus' physical body, that they saw God? No, God doesn't have a body. But if you, in seeing Jesus, his acts, his deeds, his love his life, they seen and have had revealed to them God. But have you ever imagined, tried to imagine what Jesus looked like? We've probably all done it at some point, especially when you see the various paintings uh, that, that have been produced over the years of Jesus. The thing that I find, maybe not odd, but people, when they imagine what Jesus looked like, Often imagine him looking a whole lot like they do. Some people have imagined Jesus as though he was a white man, others as though he was a black man. Uh, I heard one guy say he even saw a Japanese cartoon where Jesus was obviously from Japan. And the list could go on and on of the the various ethnicities that Jesus has been painted with. One author puts it this way I remember growing up in church Looking at a picture of a very Caucasian looking Jesus With long brown hair and blue eyes Praying in the garden of Gethsemane But the fact is Jesus was not black or white or Asian looking He was a Jew from the Middle East And so what did he look like? Well his skin Most likely would have been an olive color Perhaps a tanned look It's it's highly probable that he would have had a strong build and natural, rugged-looking appearance as a man who worked as a carpenter's son uh, for the majority of his life. His hair was most likely short. His face was covered with a beard. All of this would have been the common appearance of the majority of Jewish men overall. It's quite clear to say that Jesus was an average-looking fellow. But what does it matter what Jesus looked like? In a very real sense, it doesn't really matter at all precisely what his appearance was—whether he had long hair, short hair, or blue eyes, or blonde. It, you know, we want to be historically historically accurate, but it doesn't really matter in the big picture. What matters is that Jesus was both a man and God. His role as being our substitutionary sacrifice on the cross depends on that fact, that he was fully God and fully man. And this is the constant refrain of the New Testament. We saw that in Hebrews 2.6-8 uh, um, that I referenced earlier, that he was in the form of God, but did not count the quality of God, a thing to be exploited or abused, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Would somebody read uh, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3? Thanks. And so, the Bible is really emphatically clear. Jesus was a man. He took on the form of a servant. He's found in human likeness. But at the same time, he is the image of God. He's the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. Well, there are, there are two verses that I want to draw our attention to um, by way of beginning to close this introduction. Introduction is probably about half of it, so you don't have to worry. Um, would somebody read Isaiah 6 1 through, I have to remember where the verse ended. Isaiah 6, 1 through 13. No. Through 10. 1 through 10. 1 through 10. Sorry, 6, 1 through 10. Thank you. All right, so now, uh, as I introduce this next passage, turn to John 12. And... Uh, we're in, really, verses 27 through 41, but John 12, uh, in, in, in this chapter, Jesus makes his triumphal entry. He has some, uh, some Gentiles come to him, wishing to see him, and then he foretells his death, and yet the people respond with unbelief. And so that brings us up to verse 37, and I'll read through verse 41. And listen to this, so think about what Lee just read, Isaiah 6. John writes, though he had uh, done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, Lord, who has heard what, who has believed what he's heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. In verse forty-one, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. And spoke of him. Isaiah said these things because he saw whose glory? What's that? Yeah. That, so if you ask, so someone reads Isaiah 6, who did he see? He saw God. Oh, he saw God's glory, right? But who does John say that he saw? Jesus. If all you had was Isaiah six, you'd say that's Yahweh, that's the Lord. But John says Jesus, that Isaiah saw Christ. So the Bible is crystal clear and emphatic that Jesus is the Lord. Jesus and the Father are one. Yet He does become man. Now, there are many false teachers out there, though, that horribly misconstrue the reality that Jesus is both God and man. Since about as early in church history as you can imagine, there have been various heresies cropping up that misunderstand the relationship between the divinity of Christ and His humanity. There's a certain heresy that developed early in the second century... And probably even see some incipient forms of it in being combated in the New Testament. Uh, we see this in John, First uh, John four two. He says that uh, you know, the Antichrist is the one who denies that Jesus came in the flesh. Um, well, this group uh, asserted that physical things were bad or inconsequential, and that spiritual things were good. What, what's this? Anybody know what this is called? this sort of belief system. Gnosticism, right? That knowledge and spiritual things were good. There was hidden knowledge that only certain people could have and then physical things were bad. Well, a a heresy that um, came up after that, in some ways related, there's Arianism. And this group coined the slogan about Christ. There was... Once, when he was not. And so this brings us to last Saturday for a very short story. Last Saturday, I had two Jehovah's Witnesses come to my house. Jehovah's Witnesses are essentially modern-day Arians. And I'll spare you the details of the conversation except to say that it concluded with the woman telling me that I don't know God and that I should pray and ask God to reveal himself to me or something like that. And so one author describes them in this way. These the Watchtower Society of Jehovah's Witnesses. According to their false teachings, Jesus was nothing more than the first created angel, the archangel Michael, who was sent from heaven to earth and who became Jesus, a temporary man and nothing more than a man, though he may have been a man while here on earth they teach that upon his death, his humanity was completely annihilated, and that he was raised from the dead as an immortal spirit who returned to heaven once again to become the archangel Michael. Furthermore, it was through this created angel Michael who became Christ that God or Jehovah created all other things in the universe so that in their teachings, Jesus may essentially be a lesser God, but he is not equal to god almighty he's not jehovah himself and he certainly is according to them a created being long before he became a man and in order to prove their claims the jehovah's witnesses often misuse a verse that on the surface might actually seem to support their thesis but upon further investigation fails to substantiate their assertions so anybody know what the verse is What's that? Firstborn of, all firstborn of all creation. So Colossians 1 and verse 5. 15, sorry, not 5. 1 and verse 15. says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So what? what is maybe if, you, if you've if you had interactions with Jehovah's Witnesses, how is this verse being used? What do they mean? Well, how do they take this language? It's the relevance to our discussion this morning. What do they do with verse 15 of chapter 1? Yeah, that Jesus is God's first creative act. He creates Jesus and then through Jesus creates everything else. And while the term firstborn in scripture does often and perhaps even most often mean firstborn into a family, that's not its only meaning and it certainly does not have to mean that here and I would argue it actually can't mean that. And so what does Paul mean by firstborn? In uh, Psalm 89, I feel like we're all over the place this morning, hopping uh, many different places, but it's okay. Uh, In Psalm 89, verses 19 through 27, we see these words of God. I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil. I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and steadfast love shall be with him. In my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of earth. Was David anyone's firstborn, biologically speaking? No. He was the runt. He wasn't either the first king of Israel. The idea, this idea of firstborn conveys what? Though rank, position, or prominence given. Such was also true for the nation of Israel. Israel was obviously not the first. Um, nation ever to be born on earth. Generations lived before the Lord established His nation, beginning with Abraham and then finally as a nation they were in Egypt. Um, But nevertheless, the Lord told Moses to tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that Israel is my firstborn son. Exodus 4.22 So in other words, Israel held the place of or they held pride of place as the people whom God had chosen to receive prominence and the inheritance of the promised land. And thus they were heirs. Can anyone think of maybe one more Old Testament story um, where the idea of firstborn and this idea of rank and prominence comes into play, maybe where a firstborn is not treated like a firstborn? Jacob and Esau, right? Esau is the firstborn, but he, the, the blessing, the portion, you know, the double portion, of the inheritance goes to Jacob. Jacob, in essence, was treated as the firstborn, and there, therefore, just because Jesus is given the title firstborn, and here in Colossians 1.15, it does not necessarily follow That he is the first created being. That's reading a lot into that text to assume that. Chronology is not always in view with this word, firstborn, or this concept. And so here we have to figure out from the passage in Colossians what is in view? What does Paul mean? Well, for that, we turn to what? It starts with a C? Context. We turn to the context to see what Paul is saying here about Jesus. And so, Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God The firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Paul begins this passage, he says that Jesus is the image of God. He's not made in the image of God. He could have said that. But well, he did. He said he is the image of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. We read this earlier in Hebrews 1. And we just read in verses 16 and 17 that all things were created by him in heaven, and on earth, visible and invisible, and the thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities. All things were created through him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. If Paul was. Not wanting to make the mistake that, you know, if he wanted to communicate that there was something that was created, that ever existed, that wasn't created by Christ. He didn't do a very good job. He really makes it sound like, if it exists, it's created by Christ. John says this uh, in John 1, 3. We didn't read this earlier, but all things were made through him. The Word. Yeah, I think that's what he's saying there is that that Christ is the firstborn, the first fruits of the resurrection, um, and so he he's resurrected, and we shall follow. Does that help? Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, he yeah, is the firstborn from the dead. Um, that he is the the preeminent one. You know, firstborn from the dead. That and everything he might be preeminent. It's connected with this issue, this idea of preeminence of position, rank, authority, power. I mean, so while Jesus is the first one to be resurrected, what we'd say maybe never to die again, he wasn't the first one who was ever raised from the dead in any sense. Yeah. Right, Lazarus would have died again. Yeah. That? Yeah, I'm not sure if I've answered your question. Yes? Okay. Um, So everything that exists, we can see, is created by Christ. If, If Jesus is a created being, it doesn't make sense for Paul to say it the way that he does here. The immediate context here refutes the interpretation of the Jehovah's Witnesses that Christ was a created being. Quite the contrary, Paul is arguing that Jesus is the God who created all things and that all creation was created through Him and for Him and, he is, and is sustained by Him. And to show how far the Jehovah's Witnesses will go, their own translation of the Bible inserts the word other in various places of Colossians one fifteen through 17, even though the, the word does not occur in the Greek. And so if you're wondering what this is, um, I don't want to get struck down, but this is a New World translation, um, which I was, the lady was seemed nervous when she saw that I had it. When she came to my house, she was like, where did you get that? I said, don't worry about it. But this is, this is the way that they're... <laughs> yeah. Well, because they're not... I don't think they're supposed to just, like, give these things out, but they had, there were some that were visiting Jesse when she was at Nick's house babysitting, and they, she eventually got them to give her one, and she seemed nervous. But this is the way that the New World Translation uh, has translated these verses. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, because by means of him all other things were created in the heavens and on the earth. The things visible and the things invisible, whether thrones or dominion, uh, whether thrones or lordships or governments or authorities, all other things have been created through him and for him. Also, he is before all other things. By means of him, all other things were made to exist. And so, the, this translation has added the word other into the text to support their notion that Jesus is a first created being and it's for no other reason other than their presupposition that Jesus is a created being it really is nothing short of academic dishonesty because other the word other is it's not there nor does the context in any way, demand that it should be there. And so we saw what John said in 1 John 3, that through Christ all things were created. Yeah. So, Jesus is a creator, you know. So it comes up at the door in the house. Jesus created a creator being, being. How do you respond? Um... I think, uh, the, tr- the let's see, 30, 45 seconds. A minute, I'll cap it in a minute. Uh, it's the, 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 the difficulty with, I think, Jehovah's Witnesses more so than many other groups is that because they've got their own translation, it's very easy for them to say, uh, well, this is what the Bible says. And and, less, and most of the people coming to your door, they surely don't know Greek or Hebrew enough to have the conversation, and most of us don't either. And so that's really tricky because then you, you could go to John one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. Word became flesh. And you're like, no, no, no. The word was. What's it say? A God. Hey God. Um, there are some passages I know in Revelation, um, that uh, are unfortunately for them still in their translation of the Bible where. Jesus is identified as the Alpha and the Omega as well as Yahweh being identified as the Alpha and the Omega. I think that the uh, the Isaiah 6 and John 12 connection is a useful one to make in my mind because um, John very clearly says that he's, he he didn't he should have been more clear. What do you mean uh, he saw his glory? That was a because in Isaiah 6, that's God's glory, or in uh, like what I'm preaching on this morning, Isaiah 45:23, God says, "By myself, I have sworn, a word has gone out from my mouth in righteousness that shall not return. yeah, shall not return. To me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear." And then Paul picks that up in Philippians chapter two. And he says that God has granted Christ a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so Paul is committing blasphemy here if Jesus is not God. Because God says, my glory I will not share with anyone else. But here he's clearly sharing glory with Jesus. And I think thinking through that and the issue of... is. If Jesus is a created being, there is a the, the creature creator different distinction is very important. Um, you know, God's not on any sort of the same level with any created being. Does that help a little bit? Jeff might have something though. Well, I mean, along those lines, I'll be honest with you. I steer away from that argument. Mm-hmm. You know, so. yeah. I think that's great, Jeff. I mean, really, you know, because they really do. They come, at least they, they're expected to come sort of, you know, loaded for bear with some of those kind of big questions that we all like, oh, you know, you, Jesus, you know the word was a God. Well, most of us shouldn't touch that conversation 10-foot pole because we can't, uh, you know, there's not going to be much useful dialogue between the two parties on how the Greek should be translated. Um, the issue like just like law and gospel like that 's where probably the most useful thing with you dealing with most kind of groups like that god didn 't give us all of these various points of doctrine, and everything to beat people over the head with whether it 's you know cults or even other people that we would consider Christians that we disagree with when we have these confer- like what 's going to make someone see like can someone who is a jehovah 's witness without First, abandoning every heretical point of the watchtower society mess, can they become a Christian? I I think so. They're going to quickly abandon those things later, but why is it impossible? You know, if an unbeliever who believes all sorts of crazy things, who might not adhere to some particular kind of, you know, cult language, if they don't have to have everything adjusted right away, they can repent of their sins and believe the gospel. What Jehovah's Witness could too. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And so, if they they hear they hear the gospel, why can't they walk away from our houses going, "Man, I don't know Jesus. I don't." He's, he might be, he's still a created being, but I don't know. Like, and they have to do some things. Adam. Yeah, I mean, that's good. You know, you mentioned their prophecies and how time and time again they were wrong. <laughs> um, Rob, is that, that good, helpful, anything to follow up before we close? All right. Uh, if there's something burning, last nice comment, you can make it. If not, I'll pray and we can. Father, thank you for the day that you've given us and I pray, Lord, that uh, through fallible speech and uh, faltering lips, Lord, that your infallible word would have gone out to our hearts. I pray that you would apply it to our hearts and that you would teach us um, your word and help us to treasure up Jesus Christ to the firstborn of all creation, the heir of everything because He is the creator of everything. He is the ruler of everything and its sustainer. And Lord, I do pray for Brittany and Jeanette, the the two Jehovah's Witnesses that came to my door just last Saturday. and pray that You would cause them to be born again, that You would open their eyes to the truth, that You would forgive them their sins, and that You would bring them into fellowship with Your Son. And I do pray... That you would enable all of us that when we are presented with opportunities to speak truth into people's lives, that if we're able, that we would that we would take them and um, make use of that time. That we wouldn't worry ourselves about getting dragged down into complicated debates about original languages and translations and um, various things. Uh, If that's beyond us, that we would feel confident to trust and believe the word of god and to to speak the gospel and uh, to proclaim it with great faith that your word does not return void and even if we're speaking with a jehovah's witness or a mormon um, or a muslim anybody that your gospel is not bound by anything they've previously believed you can You can free them from their shackles in an instant. I pray that you would do that uh, for many. Help us, God, now as we come to worship you in spirit and in truth, that we would not come with any false pretense. Thank you, God, for this day and um, get glory for yourself now in this next hour as we worship together as a church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.